So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. When we read those words in 2 Samuel 15, 6, we knew and we talked about that this was just a means to an end. Absalom did not simply want the hearts of the people because he cared about the hearts of the people and he wanted to love the people properly. He wanted their hearts so he could steal his ultimate desire, which was the throne of Israel. Absalom did not steal their hearts because he cared about their hearts. Listen to me. It's very important. He stole their hearts so that he could use them to get what he wanted. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who trust in man then use people in order to accomplish their own will. Or there are people who trust the Lord and are used up for people to accomplish the will of God. Let me, let me repeat those two. There's only two kinds of people. There are those who trust in man and then use people to accomplish their own will and their own purposes. Or there are those who trust in the Lord are used up for people to accomplish the will of God. Absalom was one who trusted in man. He trusted in the wisdom of man, whether it was his own or whether it was his wicked advisors. And he used the people of Israel. He abused the people of Israel in order to accomplish what he wanted with no regard as to what the will of God was. We're going to continue to see this as it's played out in our text this morning in a very shocking way. Let's first read 2 Samuel 16, 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. This verse, verse 15, is actually picking up where 1537 left off. 1537 tells us of Absalom coming into the city. And this picks up right where it left off. There's an interlude. All the, the first part of chapter 16 is an interlude that basically is telling us what happens after David leaves the city. So David leaves the city and he's, he's headed to the Mount of Olives. And as he's headed there, we're, we learn some things that happen. But this verse is picking up right on basically the hills of verse, the hills of verse 1537. And what we read right here is happening as David has exited. So David has taken those that are loyal with, to him and they exit. And as they exit is, uh, uh, Jerusalem, here comes Absalom and his people in. Right. So we're seeing this exchange and this swap that takes place. And the verse says Absalom and all the people. Now, you may think when you just read those words, all the people, you may think, well, that's all of Absalom's people. Right. Absalom and all of his people. Then you have the phrase, the men of Israel. 
So here's how it reads. Now Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel. So how are we to take who this group of people are? The all the people, the men of Israel. Well, here's what I believe we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the citizens of the ten northern tribes of Israel. They were all on Absalom's side. At least part of Judah has gone with David. That was his tribe after all. So part of Judah was loyal to David, and they go with David. The Levitical tribe stays neutral. They always stayed neutral in these situations and tried to bless both sides with their roles. So this means then that the vast, and I mean vast majority of Israel, the nation of Israel has sided with Absalom. Which means when we read Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, this four-year campaign of conspiracy and rebellion worked just like he intended it to work. When he comes into Jerusalem, the vast, vast, vast majority of the nation of Israel are cheering as he comes in, as King David leaves. Jerusalem has been stolen. It has been stolen. Now, it could have been stolen in a bloody war. Could it not? I mean, you think about it. Brother James told us David's men were ready to go to battle. Right? David could have looked and kind of, you know, as Brother James talked about, he could have kind of looked at his men and said, okay, here's, here's how many I got. Here's how many he's got. You know what? I think we could take them. If we do this, if we strategize here, we, I think we could take them down. And we could have had a bloody civil war spilling into the streets of Jerusalem with countless number of innocent lives possibly being lost. And Absalom would not have cared. Because Absalom didn't have a heart of a shepherd that cared for the sheep. But David did. And David wanted this to be a bloodless coup. He did not want to have a war where innocent people were killed. So he left. And then he was going to leave it up to God. David's heart was for the people. He had a pastoral shepherd heart that was for the sheep. And he didn't want to see them losing their lives. And so he left. Absalom was a wolf. He would have sacrificed those people so quick to get what he wanted. Again, do you see? Trusting in man, using people to get what I want. Trusting in God, being used up for people to accomplish God's will. Nevertheless, Absalom had stolen David's city. Then we have verses 16 through 19. Let's read this together. And when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why do you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen his will I be, and with him I will remain. 
And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so will I serve you. Now, if you'll notice, can you put up the uh, second point? Sue? Sue? There you go. Absalom stole David's friend. So he thought. This is important. That little parenthetical note that I put there is very, very important. Verse 16 tells us that Hushai was David's friend. Now, the term friend here is actually a technical term that referred to an official position in Israel's government. This was actually a government position. And Hushai was, was this position for King David. But because of the actions of Hushai, I believe he was a loyal friend to David in a relational sense as well. Let, let me share with you a few things that this guy is willing to do that demonstrates he was a loyal friend, not only in his position, but in his relationship with David. In 1514, he is one of those that leaves with David. He does not stay in Jerusalem. When David says, we're going to pack it up and we're leaving, he says, I'm going with you. He is one of those that leaves with David. Now, he could have stayed and said, well, I'm a government official. I'm going to stay here. When the new government comes in, I'm going to keep doing my government duty. No, I'm going to, he, he decided he was going to abandon his government duty and he was going to follow David. And that's exactly what he does. He follows David. Second thing I want you to see in 1532, in 2 Samuel 1532, he mourns with David. As David reaches the Mount of Olives, Hushai approaches David, and there at the top of the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that he has ripped his clothes and he has put dirt and ashes on his head and he is mourning with his king and with his friend. He is brokenhearted at what has happened to David. That's what a friend does. Not just a government official, but that's what a friend does. Mourns with those who are mourning, and that's what he does. He, he mourns with him, and then... Thirdly, he is willing to sacrifice everything, including his life, for David. In 1537, after he approaches David, his clothes are ripped, there's dust and ash on his head, and he, he comes to David. David tells him, I need you to go back to Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine? He's like, no, no, David, I, I, I just left my position you're my friend. You're my king. I've, I've left with you. I'm mourning with you over what has happened. And David says, no, I don't need you to stay with me. I, it'll be a burden if you stay here. I need you to go back and be my spy. Now, the reason why he wanted him to go back was because he wanted him to kind of undermine the counsel of the other counselors that Absalom had. So he was going to go there, get any information that he could, send it back to David, but he was also going to try to undermine the counsel and the advisement that Absalom was getting from his other wicked counselors. He was going to try to undermine it and, and work it in such a way that it would be on the benefit of David. Now, this, this was a big risk. 
you, you've left with David, and now you come back. This was a big risk. What if Absalom had just said, I know who you are. And sentenced him to death, and that was it. That could have happened. So he is willing to sacrifice everything. So I, I think when this says that he is David's friend, I don't think this, yes, the, the term means that he is a, has a government position, but I think he was David's friend uh, in a relational way as well, based on everything we see in the text on how he is responding to David, how he is loving David, how he's being a benefit to David. And in 1537, Hushai arrives back into Jerusalem as Absalom is arriving. And then we have what he says to Absalom. Now, there's two approaches to what he says, okay? One approach says this is all just a big lie as a spy. That he, he comes in and he says, you know, long live the king. He doesn't mean it. He's lying. He's a spy. Uh, he says, you know, I'm going to uh, work for you and, and serve you and your God's, you know, anointed and the people want you. And, and there are some who say well, that was all a lie. He's a spy. But I think he's being trickier than that. When I read this text, I'm thinking of a guy who is kind of playing word games a little bit. For instance, when he comes up in verse 16 and says, long live the king, long live the king. He doesn't say long live, the, long live King Absalom. He just says long live the king. Who do you think he's, talk, he's thinking about in his mind? He's thinking, you think he's talking about Absalom? He knows Absalom's not the king. Now, this is exactly what Absalom wants to hear, though, right? Like, oh, ooh, that, I am the king. Right? He just walked in. He just comes into Jerusalem, and then one of David's servants and friends comes up and says, long live the king, long live the king. He's probably thinking, yeah, I am the king. But in Hushai's heart, he's thinking, long live King David. And I'm not here for you. It works. It works because Absalom in verse 17 thinks that he's talking about him because he says, is this your loyalty to your friend? So you're willing to come and pledge your loyalty to me and say, long live the king. Is this how you are loyal to your friend, King David? So it works. He thinks Hushai is talking about him. And then notice what Hushai says in verse 18, I think, again, this is some coded language. He says, no, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his will I be, and with him I will remain. Now, let's just stop. Yes, it's true that the men, that the people and the men have chosen Absalom, but is this statement true? Has the Lord chosen Absalom? No. So again, I think in his mind, he's saying, I will remain true to the one the Lord has chosen. He's making it seem like to Absalom, I'm with you and I'm on your side. But in actuality, he's again still saying, long live the king and the one that God has chosen. Then he says in verse 19, as I served your father, so I will serve you. Now you read that and you say, okay, well then this, this is, explains why some people think he's lying. Because he says, I will serve you just like I served your father. 
But the original language actually could be translated this way. As I have served in the presence of your father, so I will serve in your presence. Well, that's certainly true. As I served in the presence of your father, so I will serve in your presence. Although his service will be to undo Absalom, not help him. Throughout this whole conversation, I think we're still seeing Hushai not lying, but being cunning, being shrewd as a viper, making Absalom think, I'm here for you. You're the king. You're God's chosen. I'm going to serve you like I serve David. And again, Absalom takes it in. Now, if Absalom was as wise as he was ambitious, he would have sniffed this out. Like, what are you doing here? You're one of my dad's best friends. Something ain't right. But this dude is so ambitious, he'll use anybody. He's so blinded by his power and his position and his will and his plan and what he wants that even right in front of him, something that he should have sniffed out, he can't sniff out because he sees the opportunity. Ooh, I can use David's best friend against him. One of David's closest guys. I can use him against him. And so he misses what's right there in front of him. That's why I entitled this point, Absalom stole David's friend. So he thought. He thought he stole David's friend. And so what is going to be Absalom's first act? He comes into Jerusalem. He's now going to be the, the king. He's the one the, the vast majority of the people want. What is going to be his first official act now in Jerusalem. He doesn't turn to Hushai to get this advice. He turns to somebody else. He turns to a man by the name of Ahithophel. He asked him in verse 20, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel, what shall we do. Now, let me tell you a few things about Ahithophel. We read in 1512 that Ahithophel was formerly one of David's most trusted advisors. So Ahithophel used to be one of David's trusted advisors. We read in 1623, at the end of our text today, that he, he had a great reputation for being a great strategist and he was very cunning, so much so that it says that his words were as if they were the words of God. So in other words, this, this guy just has a, a way of knowing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, to be most effective. We also read in 11.3 and 23.24, he was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And this is who Absalom turns to and says, what do we need to do first? We're in Jerusalem. My dad's out. We can do anything we want. This is, this is our nation now. This is our city. We've, we've stolen the city from David. We've stolen a, a David's good friend. We can do anything we want. Ahithophel, what should we do? And here's his 
advice, his counsel. Verse 21, Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines who he has left to keep the house and all of Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. So what's the first thing we ought to do, Ahithophel? Go have sex with all of your dad's leftover concubines. Your dad left these ten women here to take care of the palace and to, to, to see over the palace. Take them. We'll build a tent on the roof, a, a makeshift a bedroom, shift bedroom on the, on the top of the roof, and, and there you will bring in those concubines one by one in front of all of Israel. What did this accomplish? What, what, what's the point of this? Why would Ahithophel say that this needs to be your first act? I wrote down four things that I thought about. One, it may have been, for Ahithophel anyway, revenge against David for sinning against his granddaughter Bathsheba. Where was David when he saw Bathsheba taking a bath? On that same roof. And now Ahithophel says, Go get your father's concubines and take them to that same roof where David lusted after my granddaughter and violated her and brought her in. So for him, it may be revenge. Number two, it was a statement that Absalom now occupied the royal palace and the throne of David. Anytime someone took the harem of another king, it was a statement that they are taking their authority. So by taking the leftover harem of David, which, by the way, he never should have had. We've talked about that. David never should have had these ten concubines. But by taking them, it was a statement that I have removed the authority of David and I have now come to this place and asserted my authority and my rule. Number three, it was a removal of any chance of reconciliation between Absalom and David. This was like the, the line in the sand. This was the, the final moment. This was the end where it was like, if you do this, there will be no Going back. That's why it says you will be a stench to your father. Now, Ahithophel, he needed this to happen too. Because you, can you imagine if Ahithophel had betrayed David and then Absalom has a change of heart and he goes to David and he repents and everything's restored? Where's that going to leave Ahithophel? So he needs this to happen. And then number four, it will strengthen his supporters and challenge those who may be sitting on the fence. He says, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. 
In other words, it will encourage and strengthen those that are already supporting you. And those that may kind of be on the fence and not quite all the way in on you, they'll, they'll for sure at this point have to commit to you. And that is what Absalom does. Of course, when we hear this, our minds should go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Did God not say there will be bloodshed in your family and another will take your wives in front of all of Israel? This was the last piece of, of the fulfillment of God's judgment on David. However, it has now brought a worse judgment on Absalom. He has just did, did something ten times worse than what David did with Bathsheba. He's done it now ten times worse. Remember what God said to David through the prophet Nathan? You won't die, though. That will not be what is said to Absalom. This decision is the end of God's judgment on David and the beginning of God's judgment on Absalom. And Absalom's judgment will be far worse. It will result in his death. And I just want to stop for a minute and say this, because I, I read about seven commentaries and not one commentary mentioned the women. Not one of the commentaries that I read mentioned what a violation and abuse this was to these ten concubines. Imagine. First of all, they were taken as concubines by the king. That should have never happened. So now they are, they are at the, the whim and the decisions of King David. King David has left them behind. They don't know what's going to happen. We're, we're, but we have to stay here now. The king told us to. So they stay. The next guy comes in and then rapes them just to make a point. Absalom did not, again, Absalom did not see these women as image bearers of God that are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. He saw them as objects to be used to accomplish his plan. And let me say this, when we use people, we are dehumanizing them. When you see somebody who is either in your way from getting what you want, or you can use them to get what you want, you are dehumanizing them and you are not treating them as an image bearer of God. That's what Absalom does here. These women have been treated terribly by David. Now, I'm not sure how well he treated them in the palace, but he never should have had them in the first place. And now they are being raped by Absalom as objects to be used in a political upheaval. No regard for their humanity, no regard for their womanhood. Absalom's going to die for all of this. He's going to die for all. It's the end of David's judgment. It's the beginning of his. I started this morning by telling you there's two kinds of people, and I've tried to reiterate it with each point. Two kinds of people. The kind of person 
that relies upon the strength of man, boasts in the power of man, and then uses people to accomplish their own purposes. Then there are those who trust in the Lord. Some trust in chariots, others in horses. But we, what do we do? We trust in the name of the Lord. Those are the only two kinds of people there are. Now, there's variations of those kinds of people. Now, I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but there are only two kinds of people. Those who have this desire for themselves and they use people to accomplish what they want. And, and that's Absalom. And then there are those who trust in the Lord. They want to be used up for the Lord. They want to accomplish the will of God. And the question before us today is which kind of person are you? Do you trust in your own strength? Are you willing to use people to accomplish your own plans? Or do you trust in the Lord? Are, we, are you willing to be used up for other people to accomplish the plans of God? We must choose to be one or the other. You must choose one or the other. One is the way of a new humanity. It's the way of the new creation. It's the way of the new man in Jesus Christ. Trusting God, trusting Jesus, being used up for him to accomplish his will and to glorify him. The other is the way of the old man. The other is the way of trusting in, in ourselves and trying to reach it in ourselves and using whoever we have to do to get it or, or moving anybody out of the way if they're in the way from us getting what we want and how we want it for our own glory. You've got to choose one or the other. Absalom chose to trust in his own power, to use people, to abuse people, to violate people, to disregard people, to discard people, to get what he wanted. Let me read you the psalm that David writes as he's leaving Jerusalem. I know this is a series on Absalom. And what we can learn from him. But the contrast today is to be like David. It wasn't perfect. Sinned mightily. But listen to what he writes as from, from the time he left Jerusalem until he got to the Mount of Olives. At some point on that journey, or maybe after he got on the Mount of Olives, but at some point, he writes this song. O oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O oh Lord, you, Yahweh, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept and I awoke again. For the Lord 
sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people.